1: no purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Edward Funk, and this is podcast number 19. <laughs> uh, if you've been following them, you'll know uh, that I've been fired by uh, my boss in Long Beach, California. I've been the marketing director of marketing services. With the queen mary and the spruce goose so then what happened um my cousin don who was running the sequin company that had been in the family and that was he was it was totally his at this point uh, back in indiana he invited me to uh return and help him out with promotional material uh, for, for these trips and these weren't small things i mean uh the first trip we that i was part of was to germany and we had uh over 1800 people uh in uh, well in six weeks time so anyway i would be in indiana for most of the summer and then i'd go back for a couple months in january and february where the trips actually took place and then i'd go on those trips and be there for the duration of them. So mm-hmm. now I love those summers in Indiana. Uh, I was a pretty dedicated runner at this time, and in the evenings I would take long runs, uh, and it'd be on these very straight roads between soybean fields and cornfields, and you know, the air would be salt trees, so I'd be sweating. Uh, but I could have a faint smell of the crops. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I remember one time running across this bridge, and I realized this is as high as I've ever been in my life, and uh, realizing that the, the only uh, elixir was the endorphins uh, from running. So that, that was a lovely, lovely thing to experience. Now, the winter times have their own charm, if you want to call it that. I remember being there uh, all-time cold. I I believe it was uh, minus 27 degrees, and this is the real thing, not the wind chill. And I remember sitting in my cousin Dick's living room thinking, the only only thing between me and death is this wall. in my own warp way, that was kind of exciting. And then the same week, there was a blizzard, and I talked to my cousin Bill into uh, going out and taking a walk. And the, I think the snow was probably a good foot. And we're out there and the, trudging through those drifts, and the wind whipping our face. And, and Bill said, Edward, you're crazy. So we didn't stay out long. Now, hold a second, more typical uh, during those really cold winter months was you go to people's homes and <clears throat> you'd have meals, you'd cook things, you'd talk about the world, settle the world problems, and this was so special to me because I didn't have those kinds of friends in Long Beach. Now, there was another winter. I was back there, it was, and I was there for my 40th birthday, which, um, February 11th, if you want to send cards, uh, and I decided to go down to West Lafayette. <clears throat> my parents were living there at this point, and I spend my birthday with them. Well, at this time, I had some gay friends in Chicago, and they would call, and and sometimes I'd call them back and I decided, uh, you know, it was time to quit being so mysterious. Now, I told my dad years earlier that I was gay, but, but I never told my mom. So I told her. And her response was, well, I wondered if that might not be the case, but um, maybe you need to go talk to a priest. And I said, well, mom, I'm." To- totally comfortable in my relationship with God. I, I don't think that was necessary. And I really wasn't feeling any great relief from sharing this with mom. And I, I couldn't wait to get up the next morning and go back to Keltland. Well, of course, a blizzard set in and I was stuck there for four days. So not, not entirely stuck there because I had my snow boots with me and I'd go out for very, very long, long walks Uh, just to be on my own. Uh, Now, I'm I'm going to recap a little bit about these trips that I worked with Don. And and as I mentioned, the first one had been to Germany. But then after that, uh, there were several cruises. Uh, One of them was on the SS Norway, which had been the SS France. And that had been a passenger liner. Uh, the largest ever built up until 1960. So there was another trip where we uh, landed in Amsterdam and then uh, ended up in a hotel. We'd take a bus trip from Amsterdam to a hotel in Luxembourg. And I mentioned this trip because it explains how these trips were constructed, I Maine. Don's travel broker, his name was uh, Roberto Simone, uh, he would negotiate Where would be the, what would be the best air carrier. So in and, and that instance, it was KLM. So we flew into Amsterdam. Well, then, where would be the very best hotel, first-class upscale Hotel, as it turned out, that would be in Luxembourg. So once we had those perimeters in place, then then all the various side trips uh, would be constructed. So on that trip, we we took some trips into Belgium, we took some trips into France, we took some trips into Germany. So, and on these trips, I I was to always be available from breakfast until whatever the evening event was, uh, you know, to be a person to help... Settle any problems that the guests had or, um, you know, all kinds of things. So I would often go for a long walk at night after the evening event so that I have some time to myself. And this was another, another example where I decided to go out and take a walk in a blizzard. And again, I don't know, probably a good 10 inches of snow on the ground. And uh, I'm probably out there about 45 minutes. It was exhilarating. And then I start feeling a little exhausted. Well, this car stopped. And we, he didn't speak English. Uh, He tried speaking French to me, and of course I didn't speak French. Uh, But but I understood that he was willing to take me where I wanted to go. So after I got into the car, I realized that, he was Russian. I I knew the Russian embassy was was pretty close to the hotel that we were staying in, and uh, he was frustrated with me that I didn't speak French. Most people in Luxembourg did, and probably probably everyone, because it's a small country and, and it bordered France. So anyway, I, I mentioned this. I, you know, I can see him. He kind of a guy with a medium frame. Uh, he had blonde hair in uh, a flat top, if anyone still knows what a flat top is, that's, that's a haircut we, we we called it in the, uh, uh, when I was a kid. And I really wonder if it met after the, the kind of uh, carriers in the ocean, the, the military carriers, because that was flat. I really wondered if that's where that name came from, but anyway, I, I'm digressing. Uh, and once I realized that he's Russian, I'm really feeling uh, a little paranoid because in my whole life, the Russians had been the bad guys. Uh, and here I'm in the car with this guy. Uh, I, I was very relieved uh, when he dropped me off at the hotel. Uh, and, and, but in thinking back, you know, it was just one man in this world trying to help another. I mean, he was being kind and generous. Uh, anyway, the world that we we lived in then and the world that we live in now. Now. Okay. Now, this is a new topic. Sometimes uh, Don would send me in on scouting trips, check out hotels, or or certain events that we may participate in. And one was to Hawaii. And uh, the uh, tour company that that was working with me provided me a uh, chauffeur. And I remember uh, in uh, Honolulu, uh, he took me to a evening event it was uh, of uh, hawaiian entertainment native entertainment so i'm sitting at this table and um there's this woman that decides that i look like robert hayes uh who is from the movie airplane and she no she wasn't decided that i look like him she's deciding that i am him and she starts to learn everyone at the table and they all think you know, this guy's Robert Hayes. So then when it was time for the, the dancers to do the hula, my, my chauffeur, unbeknownst to me and without consulting me, had uh, arranged that I would be one of the guests that would go up there and have to do the hula. So this made my Robert Hayes fans all the more convinced that that was me. And, and so after suffering that humiliation of being up there, uh, the evening was wrapping up and it was time to leave. Well, then my chauffeur drove right to the door and the limousine that he'd been driving me around. And of course, this has convinced uh, my Robert Hayes fans all the more that that's who I was. And so I gave up. I just waved goodbye to all my fans. Now... On the big island of Hawaii, uh, I had this beautiful suite. Uh, I, I, I checked in about midday, and, and I went in, and I, I had this balcony, and I opened the balcony door, and I looked down, and right below me was this black black lava wall with the sieges crashing into it. Well, it kind of not crashing at that point, just kind of a general lapping. And I thought, well, this is really kind of romantic. So that evening uh, I went to a little hall and when I came back, um, someone had covered my bed in orchids. And I thought, well, this is a nice touch, but who wants to sleep with a bunch of orchids? So I took all those off, but I opened up the balcony door a little bit so that I could hear the lapping of the ocean. Well, that didn't last long because pretty quickly it was a very loud noise. And so then I went close the door. Well, as the night went on, the, 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 the lapping became a roar, and I, I ended up spending the night with a pillow wrapped around my, my ears. So anyway, it sounds like a weak thing to complain about, but I thought really in retrospect, it was kind of funny. Um, hold on. Now sometimes I'd be sent on uh a trip to, to scout out maybe a location for just a little mini trip. Not not the big trip of the year, but a mini trip. And so one of those was to Reno, Nevada, and Don's former wife Nancy, uh, join me on this. So we went to together. And, uh, you know, I'm not a gambler, at least in the sense of going to a casino. Uh, and so, so the casino kind of left me cold. And the hotel that we were staying at, that was, would possibly be our host hotel, uh, they had some kind of bet that if the numbers on your paycheck matched the numbers on the casino, whatever they decided they'd be that day you get this huge payoff and i thought this is so ruthless i mean they don't even allow people to cash their check before they take the whole thing well that night uh, the, the owner of the hotel was with us at the at the table i'm sure we were at his table and uh the entertainment was kind of a retread of the mamas and the papas Uh, John Phillips, who had been an original member of one of those four, uh, was there, but um, he was the only original. And also was his daughter, Mackenzie Phillips, who had been on that TV show one day at a time. And I just have to say that it was a a sorry imitation of the mamas and the papas. Well, I think the the owner of the hotel kind of sensed that we weren't uh, totally... uh, swept up in the entertainment. And so he explained that he no longer booked top-notch uh, entertainment because uh, Shirley MacLaine had been there uh, at one point, and And she demanded that everything on the menu be brought into her dressing room, and, and then she would decide what it was she wanted to eat. Uh, And he said that was it. He was no longer going to be dealing with top-notch, big-star demands. So, now where am I? Oh, on that same trip, uh, they took us out to some small town near uh, Reno, where the chicken ranch was. Uh, And, you know, that was... That was a legal brothel, as, you know, prostitution was legal in uh, Nevada. And so our driver is circling the parking lot. And you saw these guys dragging this woman out of the backseat of the car. She's yelling and screaming. And the uh, driver says, well, he's watching this. He says, well, she signed a contract. She has to live up to it. But boy, this is ruthless. Um. Now where am I? Now, I'm back to Kentland, and one of the things that Don asked me to do one of the years that I spent my summers there, was to be a, a collaborator with his dad on a book uh, about the family history. He was one of the 11 children. My dad was the oldest. Uh, about that family, their challenges, and their triumphs, and their, uh, all the difficulties. Uh, most of all, uh, getting through the depression in the 30s. And, and then the idea of this book was uh, that the reader would be so engaged with his family that once that family got involved with the hybrid seed business, that they'd very much wanted to succeed. And uh, the company uh, published thousands and thousands of these books and distributed them Throughout the Corn Belt to all their customers and people, they're hoping they'd be their customers. And you know what that told me is that I knew how to write a book, and um, that, that that's involved. That that conclusion is, is wonderful because um, if you go on Amazon right now. And put in my name, Edward Fong. You'll see that I have ten books uh, that I've written. So, uh, a little ahead of the story because it would be many years before any of that would happen. But writing that book was called "Bring On the Future." Uh, told me that that I could do that. Now, when I go back to Long Beach, you know, for I was there um, through the spring uh, before I go to the back to Indiana in the winter, and uh, I'd be there from the fall uh, until I go to Indiana for the winter trips. And so I had a lot of time, and the idea was that I was going to really try to get my writing career going. Uh, but the truth was. Uh, I was just smoking too much pot and uh, you know I think what I tried to tell myself is that I had writer's block. but the truth was uh, I couldn't get my mind organized because I was smoking too much pot and you know the pot was both the problem and the solution because it during during the day I would take long walks and uh, there was always a lot of construction going on at Long Beach particularly as you're getting close to uh, the ocean and I'd see those people, and at times I was just feeling jealous because they had something to do and I didn't. And so by the time I'd be back in my apartment at night, um, the pot was both the uh, problem and the solution, because uh, I, I had all this consternation and, uh, from smoking it, and then I, I had the illusion from it took me someplace else. Um, that combination was not a good combination. So, now, my gay life continued, uh, but it did not mature. Uh, I still uh, chose to have uh, my sexual encounters to be uh, noncommittal. In fact, I really didn't think that a, a gay relationship, one man with another, was really possible. I, I remember being in the Long Beach Gay Community Center and they had some kind of poster promoting the idea of counseling for gay relationships. I just thought that was laughable. But then one one day I was reading the Los Angeles Times, which I did every day, and there is this article uh, about this research that um, Highly educated gay men uh, were having um, relationship, gay relationships unprotected, uh, and and you know a lot of a lot of people were coming down with some illness, but no one, so that no one even knew what it was, and and I thought you know what, this is exactly me who they're talking about. Uh, and that day was the end of my uh, promiscuity uh, and sexual relationships. Um, and it wasn't much longer where they identified that it was HIV and, and it was the uh, AIDS pandemic. I mean, it was a pandemic in the, in the gay community. Um, now, a few years later, uh, I was... Getting my hair cut in Long Beach. And uh, there was a hairdresser in the next chair waiting for his client. Now, this this is a cute guy. He's younger than me, Uh, you know, considerably, I think 12 years younger than me. Uh, He had uh, a lot of brown curly hair and kind of green eyes, which at, at some point I would tell him. This was, uh, he had Ava Gardner eyes. And he was flirting with me and I was really flattered. And that was really the beginning of my first real gay boyfriend. Uh, and it lasted a couple of years. But in the next podcast, you're going to hear all about that. So I hope you'll be interested enough to want to learn. So thank you so much. Bye-bye.